The Bible reading for this morning is from Genesis 12, verses 1 to 9, as it also says in your leaflet. And after that, we still will read also chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. If you don't have a Bible with you and would like to have one, there are some Bibles on the back table with a bookmark in it so you can find it easily. Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old, and he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord where he appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued towards the Negev. We go to chapter 11. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As the people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Well, good morning again. For those that I haven't met yet, my name is Graham. And we're in the middle of this series called Meeting the Lord. Uh, it's a highlights package of Bible narratives where the Lord draws near and comes up close and personal uh, with a particular key character in the Bible storyline. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll get into today. Lord God, we do thank you for these incredible stories that you've preserved uh, through thousands of years. 
and ensured they come to us in a language that we can understand as a true record of what you want humanity to know. We pray that you would help us, give us open ears and more importantly, open hearts that we might hear your word and believe and obey and worship. Amen. Now, last week, we looked at the origin story of the human race and we learned about identity and purpose uh, from Adam and Eve's story in Genesis 2. And today, we fast forward to the story of Abraham. And here is how one person describes Genesis 12, these few verses we've read. They say, it would be an understatement to call this a pivotal passage. Some have called this the single most important passage in the whole Bible. Everything that comes before it in Genesis 1 to 11 is leading up to it. And everything that comes after it is fulfilling it. To understand the Lord's purpose in our world, this part of Abraham's story is essential. So our plan for this morning is this. We will take a look at Abraham's story under four headings. And then, just as we did last week, we'll take a step back and reflect on two questions. What have we seen of the Lord? And how should we respond? So as we turn to Abraham's story, let's recap on the journey so far. After Genesis 2 came Genesis 3. And the first humans turned their hearts away from the Lord and they went their own way. Rejecting the life giver allowed death to enter the world. And the downward spiral of humanity began. But despite the exile from Eden and the flood that engulfed the world, humanity continued to go their own way. And in Genesis 11, it was new technology that amplified the evil. Humanity had discovered the brick. Now, you and I know from Lego Masters that the real purpose of the brick was to inspire the hearts and minds of young kids to build their Lego creations. Hamish Blake and Brickman have taught us well. But in Genesis 11, this new technology of the brick formed a deadly combination with a sinful human heart. Instead of scattering over the face of the earth to fulfill the Lord's purposes for the world, humanity rebelled by clustering together in the plain of Shinar, and they got comfortable. Let's build ourselves a city that, with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Now, in Hebrew storytelling, it's often the middle of the story that is the emphasis. And verse 5 begins, and the Lord came down. The Lord intervened, not out of harshness, but in his kindness, to stop this evil from escalating. He confused their language and they stopped their building and the people then slowly scattered over the face of the earth. Now the Tower of Babel became like one of those half-built construction sites where the builder has run out of money. 
an unfinished project and a monument to foolish decisions. In the case of Babel, it was a reminder of how new technology and sinful hearts can distract and destroy the human race. But again, the Lord did not give up on us. Genesis 11 continues with a detailed account of the descendants of Shem, Noah's son. Generation by generation, the sense of expectation builds. What is the Lord up to through Shem's family line? And so, in Genesis 12, we arrive at Abram. We find him as a 70-year-old man living in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans in modern-day Iraq. Now, Ur was a big city near the mouth of the Euphrates River, important for trade and famous for its temple dedicated to the worship of the moon god. And it was in Ur, this center of idolatry, that the Lord came up close and personal to Abram. He was given a command to leave and believe. Verse 1. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Now at one level, the call to Abram was a geographical one. Leave your place and go to another place. The journey, as it turns out, was to be a journey of more than a thousand miles. That's walking from Melbourne to Sydney and back. But in another level, the call to Abram was a spiritual one. A comprehensive leaving from his land, his home, his people, his culture. Now, for us modern Aussies who are being relentlessly discipled by our culture to be hyper-individualists, we're in danger of missing something here in the story. Abram was being told to separate from all his cultural markers of safety and status, identity and belonging, and go to an unknown place and follow an unknown God. But the Lord did not stay unknown to Abram for long. With the command came promises, promises that revealed the character of the Lord. Look with me at verses 2 to 3. Go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you'll be a blessing and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, no other God functions like this. Every religious system requires people to do and do and do. But here, we meet a God who gives wonderful and generous and comprehensive promises, a land, a nation, a name, a future, blessing for you and blessing for all the peoples of the earth. These are promises of God saying, I will, I will, I will. Everything Abram had left, land, family, nation, 
was now being provided as promises from the Lord. Notice also the contrast to the Tower of Babel and their pursuit of a self-defined life. Let us make a name for ourselves and build for ourselves a city. But here in Genesis 12, the Lord is revealed as a promise giver. And Abram must learn to leave and believe. Turn away from a self-made life. Trust and obey the word of the Lord. Now, Abram's story here is an example for us of personal faith. But remember the big picture. This Genesis 12 encounter is a key moment in the whole history of the Bible and of our world. Everything that comes before it is leading up to it. Everything that comes after it is fulfilling it. In Genesis 12, the Lord shows us his rescue plan for humanity. From Abram and his wife Sarah, the Lord would form a people, the nation of Israel. He would place them in, his land, in their own land and form them into a great nation. They would become God's people in God's land, living under God's rule and blessing. And his purpose in all of this was that through the descendants of Abraham, all the peoples of earth would be blessed. Now, last week, we saw ourselves in the origin story of the human race. This week, we will see ourselves in the all peoples of verse 3 of chapter 12. As the biblical story unfolds, we'll see how all these promises are fulfilled in Christ. But for now, let's stay with the story in Genesis 12 and see what happens next. How would Abram respond after meeting the Lord up close and personal? So the journey continues in verse 4. Abram went as the Lord had told him to. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Now Abram and his clan, including his father Terah, had already left Ur and made it to Haran. Haran's about 900 kilometres in the right direction, the halfway mark on the journey to Canaan. But Haran was another place of idolatry. And at Haran, they stopped and they settled and they got comfortable for five more years. Now, did Terah, the father, become unwell, too sick to continue on the journey? Or were they perhaps distracted from the promise and lured back to idolatry? We don't know. The story doesn't explain. But five years later, Terah dies and Abram continues on. They came to the town of Shechem in Canaan. And just like Ur and Haran, Shechem, with its great tree of Moray, was another center for idolatry. And perhaps because of this spiritual darkness, the Lord appears again to Abram to encourage him with the same promise. To your offspring, I will give, you this, I will give this land. And so Abram built an altar there to the Lord. 
Abram continues on and comes to Bethel, and in verse 8, there he built an altar to the Lord, and he called on the name of Yahweh. This is Abram's new life now. Leave and believe, trust and obey, worship the Lord as I learn his way. Now in the New Testament, Abram is held up as a wonderful example of faith. In James 2.23, it says, Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. So now let's take a moment and consider what have we seen of the Lord in this story and then how should we respond? We'll look at three headings for each. Firstly, what have we seen of the Lord? We see that he's generous in his promises. Abram began his journey without much knowledge of the Lord. But in the years following, he saw the character of Yahweh. And he learned this promise giver can be trusted. But Abraham actually died without seeing the ultimate fulfillment of many of the promises he was given. Now you and I have the privilege of seeing how all of this panned out in history. We can see how these Genesis 12 promises have been fulfilled over time. As the storyline of the Bible unfolds, this sense of expectation builds of a promised one that would come, a descendant of Abraham, a lion of Judah, a son of David, a Messiah king, a suffering servant. And then the Lord Jesus arrives as the fulfillment of all these promises. Now, we we will see some of this unfold as we move through this series. But for now, let's take note. Jesus Christ is the offspring of Abraham that was promised in Genesis 12. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says it like this. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus is the blessing from God and he's the one through whom all peoples on earth will be blessed. So let's move on to our next observation. He is global in his purposes. Now you and I must humbly realise something. We live in Tasmania, virtually the exact opposite of the globe to the patch of earth on which Abram walked. And none of us are Hebrews, as far as I know, biological descendants of Abraham. But, and we are not in the center of this story. But yet, because of God, of the Lord, because the Lord is global in his purposes, Abraham's story can become part of our story. It is because of a double meaning of the word offspring. Now, it's used in one way in the singular, one offspring through whom the blessing would come. Initially, this was Isaac, the physical son of Abraham. But as we've seen, 
This promise was ultimately fulfilled in the Lord Jesus, the true offspring of Abraham, through whom all blessings flow. But secondly, offspring is also used in the plural, and this is where you and I enter the story. At one time, a little later in Genesis, the Lord said to Abraham, look down at the ground and count the dust of the earth so shall your offspring be. At another time he said, look up at the heavens and count the stars in the sky, so shall your offspring be. The first promise speaks of the Jewish people, his physical descendants, children of the dust. But the second promise speaks of Abraham's spiritual descendants, children of faith born from above, who would shine like bright lights in the darkness. Now you and I, as we believe in the Lord Jesus, become those stars in the sky, some of them, that were too many for Abram to count. It's through faith in the Lord Jesus, the true offspring of Abraham, that people can become the spiritual descendants of him. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Observation number three, he is grounded in his plan. Now, one reason I love the narratives of the Bible is that they locate the life of faith on this dusty planet called Earth. Abram lived his faith in real places, Haran, Shechem, Bethel, Canaan. He lived as a creature like us on the same earth as us. He was a husband and father, a farmer, a leader of people. He had to learn to trust and obey and worship in real places and in real life. The Lord made this world and placed you and I in it. He takes real people like you and me and Abraham, and he calls us away from a wasted life and invites us to join his life-giving plans for the world. Real life in real places with him. It's in our everyday context of life that he meets us and calls us to follow him. So let's personalise things and move on to some uh, application by asking the question, how then should we live, having seen a Lord like this? I want to give three ideas and touch on them lightly, and you'll see they're big ideas that will need some ongoing conversations to unpack, so enjoy those conversations during the week. Firstly, leave and believe. Because the Lord is generous in his promises, we should leave and believe. Now, human beings are wired for worship. But due to the brokenness of sin within us, our default mode is to worship ourselves or some other created thing instead of our creator. This is the essence of idolatry. Idolatry is full of false promises and misplaced hope. It never leads to life. 
It distracts and deceives and destroys because at its heart it defies the Lord. It's rebellion, rebellion against his good ways. But the way of faith is not like this. When the Lord comes near to us, it's in order to set us free and to give us life. In his kindness, with words of command and promise, he calls us to leave and believe. Now, we live in a noisy world, and we have noisy souls, and these two things are connected. For Abram, he had to leave the noise of his culture's idolatry. And you and I are also surrounded by noise. So many voices clamoring for our attention, distractions and false promises and false offers of the good life. We must leave this noise, turn it down and turn it off in order to draw near to the Lord and listen to his voice. And when we do, our noisy souls will calm down. As we hear the voice of the Lord and believe his word, our souls can finally rest. Like Abram, we must learn to leave and believe. We must let go of the false promises of our culture and grab hold of the true promise giver. Hear these words from Psalm 145. The Lord is trustworthy in all his promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and he saves them. No other idol compares to the Lord who is revealed in these words. The way of faith is wonderfully simple. Leave and believe. Trust and obey, worship the Lord, and follow his way. One more thought here. Notice how Abram built altars wherever he went. What can we learn from this? Faced with the false worship of Shechem and of Canaan, Abram chose to worship the Lord, and he made that worship visible. Now, you and I might be the only true worshipper in our workplace, our neighbourhoods, our basketball team, our biological family. We must also make our worship of the Lord visible, not with glamour and glitz to draw attention to ourselves, but with humble, joyful, loving service of people that reflects well on the Lord Jesus. This brings us to our second application. Because the Lord is generous in his promises and he's grounded in his plan, we are to be a channel of blessing. 
In Genesis 2, we saw the Lord, the life giver, giving life to us and through us. In Genesis 12, we see the Lord as the blessing giver, giving blessing to us and through us. And it's the same Lord at work today. How will the Lord bless the people of your workplace or your school or your family or our city? He will do it through his people because he has designed us to be channels of blessing. The economics of scarcity says this. If I give away my time, my money, my ideas, my passion, then I'll be lacking because I've given these things away. The economics of abundance says this. All I have has been given to me by the Lord, who overflows with blessing and generosity. So I can confidently give generously of my time, my money, my creativity, my passion, knowing that he will continue to provide for me. We must live from his resources and not our own. What would it mean for you or me to take this to heart and to embody it in our lives and to live as channels of blessing? Application number three, because the Lord is generous in his promises and he's grounded in his plan and he's global in his purposes, then we should look beyond our people. We've been using Abram's story as an example of how to trust and obey and worship and how to be channels of blessing amongst those we live. But we must also remember Genesis 12 is a history-changing story. This is the moment when the Lord commits himself to his rescue plan for humanity through the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord desires that people from every tribe and every language and every culture would hear of the Lord Jesus and receive blessing from him. And this vision is repeated again and again throughout the Bible. Psalm 67, Matthew 28, Acts 1, Revelation 5 and 7. So many passages speak of this. Now you and I have responsibilities amongst our own people to make Jesus known. We might do this by our own initiative through our friendships or together as teams that go out in Kings Meadows or in Mowbray or in the city or up the northwest coast, going out as teams to share the message of the Lord Jesus. But it's a global reality that there are more than three billion people who are unlikely to hear the message of Jesus in their lifetime unless something changes and someone goes to them. Three billion people live beyond various languages or various culture barriers and they have no one living amongst them to show them Jesus. Now we can be thankful that from this church some have gone 
to South Asia, to the Middle East, to East Africa or West Africa, to Europe, to live the message of Jesus. And we can be thankful that every week we're reminded of the needs of the world in order to pray meaningfully for people beyond us, like we did for Nigeria and Niger this morning. But there is still more to be done. Is he calling some of us here to be like Abram, to leave our people and go to a land that he will show us, to be a channel of blessing, to build an altar there, to embody a life of humble trust and obedience in order to make the worship of the Lord visible in that place. What a wonderful way to spend your earthly life if that is what the Lord is calling you to do. So let's bring all this together. It is good to gather like we are doing today to learn and grow together as disciples of Jesus. But let's remember, our purpose in gathering is so that we would scatter and reach this world for Jesus. We must regularly come to the Lord with open-ended prayers and ask for his guidance in how to respond. Let's do that now and let's pray. Lord, what would you like us to do? Please show us how to respond. Help us as we seek to reach our people in our neighbourhoods and our workplaces, our families and our city. And please help us also to look beyond to the many people groups of the world who have no one to reach them. Lord, please show us how we can be channels of your blessing for all the peoples of the world. Amen.